and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wabo's most second work, five years on. Thanks, Felix, for that intro idea. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about a, a brand new arc, Collateral 4.1. Um, yeah. So at the end of uh, our last chapter, or I guess the penultimate last chapter Blake in the last chapter. arc, yeah, uh, Blake had just <laughs> lost the battle. Um, <laughs> And left Jacob's bell, uh, and and he wakes up at the start of Collateral Four Point One in the back of the car, in the back of a car being driven by some mysterious driver on his way home. Yeah, it it's like this scene sort of starts uh, like kind of tense because Blake wakes out and then he freaks up because he don't he doesn't really quite remember where he is or what's going on. Um, yeah. and then and then he sort of remembers, but then it's still creepy because it's the lawyers. And like you know, he asked They're him for all this stuff. Creepy, yep. Yeah, like they got him all these clothes that are like exactly his measurements and his preferred brand of shaving cream, and he didn't tell them any of that. And it's just like he literally just nopes the thought. He's like, "I'm not gonna. It's just gonna. I'm just gonna take this. Like, I don't want to have to worry about how they figured that I shit mean, out." Do we even know he didn't tell them any of that? Because one of the things that comes up almost immediately is Blake doesn't remember the deal. That he made, like he doesn't remember the details of the deal that he made with the lawyers to get to Toronto, which is like, I, I don't know, Blake. That's the kind of stuff you should keep in mind. <laughs> yeah, in fact, when I first read that, I assumed that must have been part of the deal for some reason, and I <laughs> like I sort of started immediately, like you know, uh, putting all these things together about what are they sending him into that he needs to have forgotten, and then you know, as he sort of keeps going, I was like, oh no, Blake's just like completely wiped out yeah we we actually find out in this chapter that it's been a week since he left all of the past three arcs have happened in the span of seven days like (laughs) shit no wonder he's so fucking wiped out jesus yeah well i mean basically most of arcs two and three happened in like two days of that as well like um there was a fair bit of time leading up to the council meeting and then Pretty much since then, Blake's just been going at it. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty nonstop. Yeah. yeah. Um, whew, anyway, so <laughs> Blake is kind of riding in the back of this car, and uh, he kind of gets some exposition on on Conquest um, from this driver. Uh, the driver explains that Conquest is the Lord of Toronto, and he's like a sentient incarnation of the concept of Conquest, um, which previously meant kind of war, but now means like business takeovers and stuff <laughs> yeah there's there's sort of a lot here that that we get sort of dumped on us and um i mean okay so first of all i thought like calling him the lord of conquest and everything like when jeremy was doing that back in sandra's interlude i thought he was being just like a bit cheeky or like that was a nickname but like it turns well, out that's just legitimately like <laughs> yeah it sounds like it's legitimately <laughs> it like the just kind of title his name people have yeah <laughs> No, that's actually, like, that's who he is. He's the Lord of <laughs> Conquest. He is Conquest. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think I understand the implications of everything that's been said to in this car ride quite yet, but I like this as an idea of, like, the extension of, as, of, as we've already mentioned, like, we have, like, gods and stuff who kind of abide by Discworld or American gods rules, and the, this extension of that is that they can refocus themselves symbolically, which is just so packed. So, like, he can take this concept of conquest, like, even if conquest himself was born out of, like, a literal conquest, um, you know, of the North American continent, he can refocus himself symbolically to fuel himself in other ways. 
it's yeah. it's great. Yeah, I, I love the idea of drawing power from conceptual things that happen in the world. It's a very cool thing to be added into this universe. Yeah. I also like, there's just a little funny moment where Blake asks if the driver has been speaking to the Lord of Toronto telepathically because uh, he didn't see him uh, do anything. <laughs> and the guy just turns around and he's wearing a Bluetooth headset. And it's just <laughs> like... <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's just reminding us that this is still the real world, I guess. But it's also just funny because it's like <laughs> you learn about magic and you probably just assume everyone's doing everything magically. And, and this is a bit of a reminder that no, like technology still is a thing. Yeah. Why would you expend power on that and you know open yourself <laughs> up to like connection manipulation and shit when you yeah. can just send a text or make a phone call? <laughs> um, so Blake gets home and kind of heads upstairs. All the while, the lawyer is kind of giving him details on conquest and the world and, and, you know, being a practitioner. And uh, Blake gets home and starts kind of setting up some artistic defenses with duct tape, just making kind of sigils around the uh, around his apartment. Yeah, I mean, the the lawyer kind of gets in his head a bit and sort of tells him, hey, you're going to need a buttload of defenses. Yeah. And I mean, he's probably right. Uh, I, I also love this one line that the, that the lawyer guy says, where he's like, oh, He's just talking about, like, all these annoying clients he has. And he says, you know, there's clients who hoard or have places packed from floor to ceiling with knickknacks and body parts. And it's, it's like, exactly <laughs> what we saw in that domain chapter with, uh, with the lady who had a domain that was just like, yeah, it's just domain, yeah. it's cool, and now the walls are flesh, and it's just like, wait, what? Um, and it's, it's, it's always funny <laughs> seeing these practitioners who are so used to the gruelly parts of it that they just weave it into what are otherwise normal sentences it's it's great yeah um i the thing i love about this is this kind of junior lawyer who's driving him you kind of are very endeared to how open he's being with blake about these answers and uh later on this chapter rose kind of points out oh this is (laughs) this is intentional this guy is here to become your friend and then kind of that's an angle for the lawyers to win you over. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I 100% needed that. Like, the lawyer left, and I was like, man, that guy was cool. And then Rose sort of came in, and I was like, shit, she's got a point. Um, I think that yeah. was just as much for yeah. me as it was for Blake. Yeah, this whole angle, like, you really get the sense in this chapter of, like, the recruitment drive. Like, they're definitely trying to convince Blake eventually. So he's, we learn soon his payment um for you know all these favors they're doing for him now is he just has to read a book on diabolism like they just they just want him to know um which is like so yeah. like on point like God, it's, it's it's such a creepy it's such it's a creepy so, yeah, price so manipulative yeah. and creepy it's yeah. it's oh it's so on point for their whole trying to get Blake ready to join them and then and then there's this really interesting bit because yeah. the the lawyer gives him this little sticky note with some instructions for an errand and it's basically this is the payment for your next favor and they don't even know what that is yet or at least blake doesn't know what that is yet um and that's like this seems too good to be true because blake (laughs) could have just asked for like the house back or to wipe out the bahams and do shops or he could ask for like you know Mm. a twix bar (laughs) he could ask for anything yeah i i wonder if this errand if it comes back up, which which I think it probably will, is this is it going to be a reason they need Blake to do it specifically? Like, is it something the lawyers can't do themselves, and it's going to be, you know, the first in a long line of dominoes or something? I I I 
I take this small errand that he needs to do with a massive grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, The thing about this is you really just get the vibe that the lawyers know eventually they will have Blake. Like They seem very confident. Yeah. Things like, oh, we'll just get you to read this book. Like, yeah, you're still going to not want to join us, but when you do join us, it'll be helpful that you've read this book. Like, (laughs) they just kind of know. Yeah, it really just feels... um, it feels inevitable. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Blake, the lawyer kind of leaves, and Blake starts setting up these uh, duct tape sigil defences, and Joel, his landlord from the first chapter, comes in, uh, and he's just so nice. <laughs> yeah, there's not really much to say, except Joe's just, like, crazy supportive of him here. Like, he doesn't even seem remotely mad that Blake just, like, abandoned his car in the middle of yeah. the highway and hasn't spoken to him for a week. Um, yeah. Like, that's, yeah. that shows a real level of sort of trust that Blake's issues were serious. And, I mean, I think they were. Like, I think Blake was fair to do all that, but I also think Joel oh, yeah. would be fair if he didn't understand that yet. Yeah. So it, it just shows it's, a real level of trust. It's it's kind of a theme throughout this chapter that, you know, we've we've kind of been talking about how Blake doesn't have a family and his friends are his family. And we really yeah. see that and feel it this chapter. Like, oh, definitely, they're just so nice. <laughs> yeah, they're all clearly quite, quite tight and really well supported. Also, like, there's this one bit where Joel sort of implies to Blake that if he is going like legitimately insane, um, mm. you know, they'll still sort of be there to support him. And then yeah. Blake, and, and Rose Rose sort of asks Blake what that was about, and and Blake just sort of explains it to her, and then he's like, honestly, it might be easier if I just let them think that I'm going a bit insane, then mm. like because because you know fessing up like we've already been told that you can't just like tell people the truth because introducing them to magic means that they're like your karmic responsibility. Yep, you take ownership over them. Also, given his experience with magic, I don't think Blake would want want that for any of his friends. Um, you don't think Blake wants more karmic debt? Hmm. <laughs> oh, I, even <laughs> to fuck up his friends. Even karmic debt aside, I think if 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 it reduced his karmic debt, he still wouldn't do it because he likes these guys. Yeah. So you know, it's uh, it's just yeah, it's sort of that thing. How do you balance this? And uh, you know, Blake's response seems to maybe just be let them think he's a little bit insane. It's probably a good one. It's pretty tragic, though, isn't it? I mean, God. That's his easiest option. <laughs> yeah, it's not ideal, but, you know, yeah. I guess it is what it is. <laughs> um, so Joel is very nice and uh, basically invites everyone who hasn't seen him in a week to kind of come over and hang out, and Blake agrees. Um, Blake kind of toys with not agreeing because he feels like he needs some downtime, but I guess he's a bit of an extrovert. He wants to uh, have his friends around. Yeah, I, I I like this as a sort of explanation, and, you know, Ro- Rose buys it too, so if Blake and Rose are on the same page about it, it's, it's probably sensible. You know it's true. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this idea that, you know, if, yeah, if he's a bit of an extrovert, you know, this is a good way for him to recharge. And in particular, he has started to, like, lose bits of his identity with the glamour, and, you know, reconnecting with all of his close friends is a pretty obvious way to recharge that angle. So, like, yeah, it yeah. makes it makes sense to me. Uh, and also, I yeah. don't know that he really would have had the option to say no. I think half of these people probably <laughs> would have shown up anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we kind of see that. I mean, people come over, Blake hosts an impromptu party, and we see him be himself. Yeah, and they all show up within, like, ten minutes. Like, 
I think, I think Blake sort of says he spends like 10 minutes getting ready and they're all there. So either these, these, like, these, these guys all live together or, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> or like they, they were just ready. <laughs> <laughs> they were all waiting for Blake to resurface <laughs> so they could come over and hang out. Yeah. Um, it's just so nice. The whole party vibe. Like, they all are just so friendly and um, there's like Goosh who comes in and is like, hey, you want me to play defense on any topics? And they're all just like so chill. Yeah, oh, and, um, you know, some of them offer to help him finish his, like, crazy person taping of the of the whole apartment, which is supportive, and also, like, you can tell these people are artists. Yeah, yeah, Blake even says, oh, thank God I have art friends. But yeah, I don't know, they're all, they're all so nice and supportive, you know, I can't wait to see that be maintained for the whole story. I, <laughs> I, I won't hear any implications otherwise. So, um, Blake kind of enjoys the party a bit and then kind of heads out to talk to uh, Alexis, who clearly has uh, an important position in his life. <laughs> and we get, I think, what is like the most wholesome and cutest proposal of a threesome that I've ever read. It's just like incredibly wholesome and sweet. It's great. I love it. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And I love this little bit where it like it, it kind of gets super awkward for Blake for various reasons to do with the emotional dynamics in this proposed uh, threesome. Uh, and then, so Blake has this moment where he's like feeling super awkward, and then Alexis asks if he's okay, and Blake's just like, "No, this is great." Like feeling really awkward and embarrassed is one of the best things he's felt in a week. Yeah, like I think he that that sort of part of his recovery that we're seeing there is just him feeling normal human emotions that aren't being brought on by like crazy mythological creatures yeah it's it's (laughs) i mean i guess we're hitting this speed a fair amount but it's just like blake it's just nice seeing blake (laughs) in his element you know like yeah you feel so bad for him over the past three arcs it's nice to just (laughs) give him one chapter of like respite yeah, you're right. Nothing really goes wrong in in this chapter. Um, like he leaves, <laughs> he leaves in a minute, but it, it doesn't really go wrong. But um, yeah. I, I wanted to jump back a bit to uh, Alexis's introduction because it's it's a big thing. Yeah. Like we have a couple of paragraphs dedicated to it because Blake is very clearly in love with her. But what I found super interesting is he expresses this by describing all of her imperfections. Yeah, like kind of out of context. His description of her as she enters the room is basically she's really small. She has acne, her hair needs conditioning, she has, like, fucked up teeth, and, like, like it's it's probably the least flatter- flattering description we've yeah. had of any character in this entire story, and, and it's, um, it still comes across as, like, really aff- affectionate, like, yeah. you know, he's, he's yeah, focusing on these it, things because they're the imperfections that he finds beautiful. Yeah, totally, um, they're he's able to just yeah it's it's very relatable in that way where when you have that level of care about someone you care about them kind of not despite their imperfections but because of them in a way that they just kind of make up the whole picture of a person ah exactly it's it's very realistic and like super cute it's a great it's a great yeah a great way she's introduced into the story yeah um, of course, things can't stay wholesome forever. Uh, Rose <laughs> kind of points out that she's noticed something very strange. She counts nine people's names at the party and lists them, but then looks around and counts heads and comes up with... Sorry, she counts eight names, uh, but counts heads and notices there are nine. And that means there's somebody here without a name. It's <laughs> it, Rose is kind of like, Blake, something's weird's going on. And Blake kind of counts them... And gets to the same conclusion and is like, oh, what? 
It's just a great little mind fuckery. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, yeah, it doesn't add up. Um, I, I mean, what's hilarious about this is if Rose hadn't been paying attention, would this guy just have been sitting here for for hours? <laughs> like, yeah, how long is he just chilling there? Like, does he wait until the party's over? Yeah, at what point does he make a, a bigger deal out of Blake not noticing his presence, or is that some test or something? I don't know. I just I like the thought of this guy just sitting there for for potentially hours. What if um, Blake has agreed to the three to the threesome, and and he and Alexis and uh, Tiffany head off to it, another room? And then he's counting people and there's just someone else standing in the corner, <laughs> some old guy with a gun, just watching them like, oh, I didn't realize you were in this. Yeah, I don't know how long he was going to wait there. I've got the guy had a gun. It's just like, yeah, just some, some guy sitting in the party with a gun. No one's noticing, like, very casual. <laughs> um, but Blake eventually uses his sight and notices him. Uh, and this man with no name has come to take him to meet Conquest. Yes. And Blake heads out to meet him. Buying a painting from Tiffany on the way. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess they're going to drop Tiffany off at her place or something. Um, that was all a little <laughs> unclear. We don't need to worry about the logistics <laughs> too much, Elliot. <laughs> um, so, it was at this point I went back, because we're, we're clearly about to meet uh, this this Lord of Conquest, uh, you know, the, the head honcho in Toronto. And I, I, I've had this line sitting in the back of my head for a while, so I went back and found it. It's in chapter 2.2 2 mm. at the council meeting, and Sandra Duchamp was talking about how Toronto is still in the dark, um, and then provided there aren't any further interruptions, the Duchamps will be able to divert attention from something for the, for the time being, and the Lord of Ottawa is on their side. So like, it seems like Sandra might still be playing the fuck the Lord of Toronto game. Mm. Well, obviously, in our previous chapter like that was made quite explicit to us that she's trying to get uh jeremy to take over as the lord of of toronto well that was quite a while ago now that uh, like i i assumed well that, that sure. wasn't really her jam anymore but um i guess going back and, and finding this line which has sort of been sitting in the back of my mind makes me think maybe maybe she is still at it i guess i guess we'll see mm. yeah fair enough but that's the end of of collateral 4.1 uh, it's it's a bit of a short chapter, but it is just a nice chapter. It's just so nothing bad happens. Blake gets some nice information, and he he just finally feels at ease for the first time since I don't know, never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, since we've met him, <laughs> yeah. It's it's almost as relaxing for us as it is for Blake. I think just to see him get a chance to be himself, which obviously means that the rest of the arc is going to be more of this. Yeah. Yep, it's going to just be however many nine chapters of him hanging out at a party with his <laughs> friends. Ooh, finally. Um, yeah, so one other thing I wanted to bring up about this chapter is I think Blake tells a few lies when he's talking to his friends. He catches himself a Blake, few times. no. He would never. But in particular, there's there's one I really want to call out because there are some that are, are probably just nitpicky, but uh, there's one where I think he tells um, it's either Goosh or Joel mm. that they hate him for no reason in Jacob's Bell, which is just, yep. that's not correct. Like, I mean, the reasons are unfair. I'll back him on that. But, <laughs> like, they they exist. Um, yeah. So, you know, yeah. I guess we'll so see where that goes. To, you know, his friends are asking, oh, what have you been up to for the past week? And Blake obviously has to do his not lying, but also not telling the truth dance. And it seems like he isn't as good at it as he thinks he is here. Yeah. Well, I mean, because what's interesting is there's not... 
like this is probably the conversation with like muggles where we've seen the least concern about accidentally lying. Like Blake almost doesn't have to worry about not lying to these people. Um, and I guess that's another sign of how at ease and, and comfortable he is with them. Like he, there's a few things where he distorts facts to hide the magical aspect, but that's it. Like he's almost never. Yeah. I think there's only one bit where he goes to say it's okay and then he changes his mind because it's not. But like apart from mm. that, he doesn't try to hide how much this has been fucking him up. And, you know, that's yeah, that's a bit of a testament to the relationship he has with these people. I guess that means he's let his guard down about not having to lie. And that's where these kind of unforced errors come from. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, mm, I, I want to touch on a bit collateral. Uh, as a as a title for this arc, because uh, yes. I think it's an interesting bit of uh, bit of uh, foreshadowing, bit of meaning that we can infer from it. Um, so obviously, collateral damage is a thing uh, that that this arc title made me think of. Um, you know, incidental damage to a secondary target as a result of like acting against a primary target. Yeah, I mean, this was my first thought as well. I guess when I say the word collateral, I think of collateral damage before the the proper legal definition. Um, yep. And I couldn't help but notice that we're starting an arc called Collateral by introducing all of Blake's civilian uh, really nice friends, <laughs> which I, has me very <laughs> concerned going forward. Um, yeah, yeah, so I I'm hope... I'm sure that's a coincidence. Yeah. I hope Wabo is planning to subvert the obvious trope here, but <laughs> I would not blame him if he didn't either, because it's it's going to be miraculous when it happens, even though I'm going to be devastated. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Um, the other meaning of collateral, the the legal meaning, which is obviously also relevant uh, in these kind of double meaning arc titles, um, collateral is you know the thing that kind of secures a loan or a deal. Uh, if someone doesn't pay their mortgage, the bank can seize the collateral, which is their house. Yeah. Now that probably doesn't bode well for any bargains <laughs> being made during this arc. Yeah. Mm. Um, and the third meaning is, of course, Collateral Beauty, which is a movie that came out recently that wasn't very good, so we don't need to worry about that, probably. Never heard of it. D- don't look it up. It's not <laughs> worth it. Um, so, okay. uh, for our little bonus bit this chapter, we wanted to dive into some comments to see how people were feeling five years ago at the very start of uh, Arc 4. Um, so, we've each picked yes. out one comment that we wanted to talk about. Um, I guess I'll talk about mine first, which is a comment by some guy. Um, <laughs> that's actually his name. I didn't just forget to write down his name. <laughs> uh, so this comment is basically talking about how um, this this uh, some guy has noticed uh, that the universe seems to interrupt Blake at critical junctures. Um, binding June was interrupted by the arrival of the lawyers. His... Uh, his kind of first impression with the Duchamps was interrupted when the fairy blood kind of dropped out onto his lip. Um, now his uh, his attempt at erecting his defences at his apartment have been interrupted by Joel's arrival. And this some guy is is starting to think that this might be the universe screwing Blake over, um, kind of interrupting him in subtle ways uh, to, to kind of throw him slightly off his game. Um, which I yeah. thought was a fun comment. Something that I hadn't really considered before but yeah it's a it's an interesting angle i i loved this comment when you when you picked it out like it's it's so spot on like i i've basically headcanon this now like i don't i don't think we've gotten as many details as we're going to get on the ins and outs of karma yet Mm. but based on what i do know so far this perfectly lines up with how it works especially because 
all of these times have not been times Blake has linked it to karma, which yes, um, you know, I, I think the more you're sort of playing the karma game, the less effective karma is. Yeah, and and so you know this, yeah, like he's right. All these coincidences where you know we talked about that fairy blood on the lips, like that was the that was the moment where I really bought into this series because I was like, yeah, that like he was just having a good connection with this Duchamp uh, Penelope. <laughs> and then and then he just had to spit because of the fairy blood and, and I love the idea that that was karma fucking him over. Um Yeah, just kind of negating, nipping that uh potential ally right in the bud there. Yeah, I'm I'm actually probably gonna try and keep a lookout for stuff like that going forward um now because mm. I've pretty much decided that that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> anyway, so I've pulled out a comment by Sir Fuente. And Fuente is talking about Leonard, um, or you know the the Leonard in a bottle we've got, and and just talking about how he's almost certainly going to be used to poison someone, um, you know, because we saw he, he's associated with like noxious fumes, and now he's in a bottle. So sort of tra- like same way June is like a hatchet that shoots cold. Um, yeah, Leonard is probably a bottle that can contain poison. Mm. And so, yeah, I just, I love this theory and I'm I'm going to be keeping an eye on uh, potential opportunities to use that, uh, you know, probably aimed in Jeremy's direction considering his love of drink, but I guess we'll see. <laughs> considering his relationship with bottles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Interesting. Yeah, I, I can definitely see it being a thing where you put water in, a, in Leonard's bottle and just leave it for a while and <laughs> then if someone drinks from it, well, that's bad. They're fucked. Yeah. Uh yeah, it like it, it makes a lot of sense symbolically, so I loved it. Yeah, cool. Um well that's the end of our of our first chapter about collateral. Um if you want to leave us your thoughts on what we talked about this chapter, you can do so by following the link to the discussion thread, which will be in the uh description of this very episode. Yes, uh you can also find more information on the show and the other shows in the Doof Network by heading to doofmedia.com. Yes, actually on doofmedia.com you'll be able to find a link to the Patreon for Doof, which is patreon.com slash doofmedia, which involves all kinds of rewards like uh, access to the Doof Discord and um, voting on contests and other miscellaneous votes. Yes, including voting for the next book in the book club. Um, Oh, yes. So they just did a Doof book club uh, a few days ago, I think, uh, which was on the fifth season, which which is a great book, and I haven't had a chance to uh watch that one yet but i'll be getting to it soon yeah so if you want to steer the discussion about what books everyone's talking about you can become a patron at patreon.com slash doofmedia yes um, while you're there you could also become a patron of wildbo who writes pact and all these other great stories that we uh love um the link to do that is patreon.com slash wildbo that's right and so uh apart from that i guess we'll see everyone for chapter 4.2 on wednesday the 6th of march yep See you all then. Bye.